Thanks for tuning in to JR's Hunt for Life Suicide Prevention Podcast Safe Talk with Jenny Hunter and Billy Floyd, where there are no judgments and talk saves lives. Well, hello, everyone, again. This is Jenny with JR's Hunt for Life talking on our podcast called Safe Talk. Yes, I'm going to talk to you again about the effects of suicide on family and friends. And this time, friends, I'm going to get a little more personal, a little more deeper into um, my behavior, my emotions, things that happened in my life, my heart, and my mind upon the loss of our son. And I will also talk to you some more about the effects of our um, that 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 happened to our daughter and to my husband. This is a little more personal. Uh, it may be disturbing to some people, so I just want to give a little warning that um, it may trigger you. Um, it may be disturbing to you, um, but I'm going to talk factually. And I'm going to be as open and vulnerable and honest as I can possibly be. Um, So let me start first with letting you know how you can get a hold of me. You can go to JR's Hunt for Life on any social platform where we exist. Um, You can message me through that platform on Facebook on Messenger, on the web, all under JR's Hunt for Life. Um, Also, you can email me at jlh35 at hotmail.com. My United States phone number is 307-259-6032. Now, as I said, this podcast is called Safe Talk, and that's why we're talking right now. Um, I initially started on um, the first episode of this called How Suicide Affects Family and Friends. And I did get into some detail. It was uh, mostly superficial. This time we're going to get into a little more, um, like I said, a little more deep dive into this. and I can I can almost guarantee you that some or many of you that have experienced a loss by suicide have experienced the things that that I have and I'm continuing to experience. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening. Uh, I understand that this is not um, a topic that people would generally want to listen to. Um, and I know that those of you that need to listen are here. So let me start by saying, um, Billy is not with us this time since this is, um, mainly me talking about my experiences. He will join us on the next podcast of the series that we're doing together. So let me start with a little more of the effects that our son's 
suicide had on me specifically. That's where I will start. When our son passed away, my husband and I, my daughter, um, were tasked with um, going into his residence um, where he lived with his wife and removing all of his personal effects, everything that belonged to him. Um, and we were um, asked to do it very quickly. So we did it. We began this immediately the following week after his death. Our son-in-law brought a rental trailer over and we started removing the things from the house. And at that point, we knew what we had to do. We concentrated on what we had to do. Uh, we weren't emotional about it. I believe that was our way and grief and uh, shock protecting us throughout this process. We are all Christians, so I believe that uh, we were protected also in that aspect, um, the Lord knowing what we were having to live with and what we were doing. I would say that our daughter displayed the most distress um, throughout this, and um, we did tell her, you do not need to be here. We will do it um, because we had to do it. He was our son. We were the only ones that were, you know, that, that could do it. So we started removing all of his things. One of his best friends came over and did help us um, during that time for a bit. And it was a great help. Now, once we removed his things, um, we took it to a storage unit. And our son-in-law is so gracious. He owns a storage unit business. He allowed us to put JR's things into the storage unit. Believe me, there was no arranging. There was no going through anything. It was just taken into the unit and locked up. Uh, since that time, and that was the year 2015, um, that was the week of June 6th or so, since that time, I will say that I have not returned to that unit with the exception of taking um, my mother and father's belongings there also when they passed. However, when I was there, I could not look at our son's things. It was very, very, very uh, emotional for me especially having to deal with my parents' things who had just passed, uh, my father. And I, I just, I absolutely, until that time that I had to remove my parents' things from their house, I had not been back to the unit. It, it, it is so devastating for me to walk into that unit to smell him to smell his belongings i i just i i cannot do that and i will explain further um why um i cannot do that i will say that when a loved one passes their smell does not go away 
You remember their smell, the things that they owned, that they lived in, their clothing has their smell. And uh, I do remember uh, someone telling me to bag up some of Jared's clothing and seal it tight so that we could always have that smell. I did do that. However, I I cannot and won't on purpose open a bag and smell that. It It is deeply disturbing to me. And that is not something that I can do. I will say our daughter returned to the unit almost daily, went through his things, uh, found things, took them home. And that's fine with us. Um, She was very respectful. She knows that that was our son. However, it was also her brother. So she took uh, the things that she wanted home. And um, she would go back and forth to the unit, and um, that gave her some sort of peace, I believe, um, just to sit in the unit with those things. So that was completely opposite of me. Um, I will say that our husband also, he... He did not have a hard time going to the unit. He It gives him comfort to be around JR's things. It gives him comfort to remember JR, uh, to remember times in his life that he had with him. That gives him great comfort. Again, I am a polar opposite of that. I had an extremely hard time allowing memories in because they are so painful. I just cannot do that. So um, I don't do that on purpose. If I know something is going to be that painful for me, I just, I absolutely will not do it because um, like I had explained before in the prior podcast, this is a soul pain. This is a pain that reaches the in to the insides of you, the insides you never knew you had, where you can feel things. And um, frankly, I don't want to feel that pain again. I don't even want to feel a little tiny bit of that pain again. So I will say that because of the pain um, and the desire to uh, not have that pain and the desire to see my son again because I do believe in heaven and I do believe that I will see him again when I pass. And because of that desire, I um, I did not want to be on this earth. That may shock some people. However, I know that if you are listening to this, that you will understand if you have lost uh, someone that you love. You will understand exactly where I'm coming from. Uh, I will not say that I was suicidal. However, I will say it took me a while to decide if I wanted to stick around or if I was going to learn how to live with this excruciating soul pain. Um I will say that I came very close to making a life-changing choice. Um, 
However, uh, I finally uh, decided that um, I have a husband, I have a daughter, I have grandchildren, and uh, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to uh, see what I can do to live with this pain. I did not know how that was going to happen. Uh, I did not know how long it was going to take. Um, but I know there was a turning point where I no longer thought about not wanting to live with the pain in in a physical manner. So I decided how uh, am I going to help myself? How, how am I, what am I going to do? Um, and this was quite a ways down the road um, within the first year. Um, oh, and let me go back. Let me tell you that we also, when removing his things, um, we inherited his cats. JR had two cats. He loved animals. Um, they had dogs. They had cats. And two of the cats were were his. And um, we took the cats because we also have cats. So we took the cats. And one of them he had had since this cat was a tiny, tiny baby and just weaned. And this cat rode around with him in his truck all the time. His name was Tripper, and we inherited Tripper and Roxy, and uh, we still have Roxanne, um, and Tripper developed a lung cancer. Uh, he was a Bengal cat. And he was a gorgeous, gorgeous, loving cat. He developed this, and we tried to keep him around as long as we possibly could because that was, and you will understand this, that was our connection to JR. Um, we took special, special care of these cats. And when Tripper got sick, we, we did everything we could do uh, to keep him here with us. Um, however, you know, quality of life, and you can't, you just can't let um your animals suffer. So when it came time, we called the vet and she came up to our home and pardon me. And she put Tripper down and he was devastating all over again. And I did not know, um, again, if I wanted to go on with this. Um, it was something that I hadn't suspected um, that would affect me in this manner. However, it still does, <laughs> as you can tell. Um, at any rate, to continue, I... I um, decided that I was going to have to help people. That's what I had always done in my life was help others, and it made me feel good to help others. So um, I decided I would continue on that path, just focused on helping others that had had um, losses of suicide or helping to keep people alive um, from suicide. So um, let's take a tiny break here for our sponsor. And um, we will, I will be right back.
to continue on, um, as I was saying, all of JR's things are in a storage unit, which I do not go into. Um, like I said, it's been since 2015. It's now 2024. So it is still, as you can tell, very, very real with me, um, very hurtful, very painful. I do not uh, go in that unit. And I also have um, things in our house that are in plastic tubs, things that he um, considered very, very important, uh, his special things. And I have kept those in our house. I don't get in the tubs. I know where they are. I know what's in them. Uh, but they are in our house. And I'm saying these things because I I know that um, when people lose someone to suicide, it is so hard to uh, decide what to do with their things. Um, that happens all the time in our group meetings. What should we do? How long should we? And I have no answers for them other than what I am doing. All those things are still in storage. I have no plans of going in there. I have no plans of distributing them, none whatsoever. Um, uh, we have um, his special things in our house. Um, they are there if we ever want to see them, um, but they are here with us. Um, and I will also say, and this may be a trigger to some of you, that we still have our son's cremains in our house. Um, we, our plan is to um, put them with our cremains um, when we pass. So that is how we are handling that aspect of it. I know that it's so hard for people to decide what to do and to talk about, and that's why I am talking about these things. Um, they're not easy things, and somebody needs to talk about them with you so that you know you are not alone at all. So another thing is um, I avoid JR's friends. I have a very hard time seeing them, talking to them, because it brings back life memories. And those are very, 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 very still painful to me. Um, my husband, on the other hand, and my daughter, they can talk to his friends. They can talk about memories. Um, and that is just where our differences are. And we live with those differences. It's not not a big deal to us. We know that we each have our own individual journey. Um, so <clears throat> they they will talk to his friends and they will reminisce. And I cannot do that. I have to not to be around when that happens. And sometimes his friends may think that I'm not um, being friendly to them or whatever the case. I do not worry about that. I do not feel like I have to explain myself. Um, that is just where I stand. Uh, I'm not doing it to be hurtful to anyone. I'm doing it to protect myself, basically, from this pain. I don't want to go back where I was. I don't want to feel that pain. And um, I will do everything that I can do to protect my, my uh, heart from that pain. 
Now I do know that that my husband, let's talk about him a moment. Uh, we kept our son's pickup. Uh, it was a very, very long time before I could get in it because I could still smell him. And now I can still smell him, but I can at least get into it. Uh, but my husband, he we don't drive his pickup. It is in our garage. My husband cleans and shines and takes it apart and rubs on it. And he does everything he can do to keep it in tip-top shape. And he said that makes him feel closer to JR. Um, he wants to and, and my husband's a car guy so of course that's his connection um with jr so he is constantly waxing it and cleaning it and um babying it and taking care of it and i appreciate that so much because i love that truck too it's just very hard for me to um get in it <laughs> so to speak my husband uh will look at JR's pictures. He will talk about JR. That is one thing I did not bring up with you that I had I could not look at any any pictures. I could not someone else made the pictures for the slideshow at the memorial service. I could not look at pictures. Uh, my husband had to take them all down in our house. You know, pictures of JR or our kids. Uh, of course, everyone has pictures of their children around their house. I could not look at them. Uh, right now, I still have a hard time. However, my husband gradually last year started putting up some pictures here and there. And I did not want to be selfish. I know I have been selfish through this, but uh, I had to let him do that without. Uh, asking him not to do that. So um, I know he needed to do that, and it was a give and take. So, yes, now there are some pictures up, and we just tread lightly when it comes to those things that we know affect us in a painful way. So that is how we do it. Um, he does not want to see me cry, and I do not want to take away his joy from looking at these things. So it's kind of a give and take. Um, I work through them however I can. Uh, I will avoid them if I need to. I have good moments and sad moments. It's all a journey. It's, um, it's not an easy journey. And I know those of you that have been through a suicide understand what I'm saying. Now, Let's go to our daughter. Um, she's uh, four years older than JR. He died when he was um, 36, so she was 40. She immediately started self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. And she was angry, uh, guilt being the core emotion with her hurt, then guilt because her and her brother had some differences. Uh, they loved each other dearly. However, they did have some sibling differences at that time. And um, so she has some really heavy guilt and anger. And she broke pictures. And she 
uh, through things and it 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 was um a different reaction from Hunter or myself. And she started self-medicating and did not stop. And she self-medicated from the time she woke up to the time she went to sleep, if ever she did go to sleep. She was uh, on a downhill spiral, and we were very afraid we were going to lose our only surviving child. And um, that's quite a different uh, thing to have to uh, navigate. So at one point, we uh, and her husband did an intervention with a professional interventionist uh, which was, um, I will say at first I thought it was an absolute total flop because she was um, outraged that we would do this. And uh, she insisted she would clean herself up herself uh, if she needed to. And um, that did not work. And eventually she had to run in with the law, was on probation and had to go through random testing for drugs and alcohol. So that that cleaned up the alcohol and drugs part. Um, and then she had it to start healing emotionally because we all know if we self-medicate, that puts off the true grief and the true healing. So she had been putting that off probably for, I don't know, four or five years before this happened. And now she had to start healing without drugs or alcohol. And that's a whole nother story um, that I, she or whoever this has happened to can talk to you more knowledgeable than me. Uh, we just watched her and tried to support her the best we could. Um, and she has um, eventually um began her healing process. Uh, she reached out to all types of different mediums and believing they could hear from her brother and that um, her brother could speak to her. And it was a very, very disturbing journey uh, for her father and I. Um, to see her search for this and not get any relief. Um, finally, she is, I'm hoping, uh, on a constructive healing path. Uh, we will see. <laughs> I guess uh, it just takes time, but it's her path, not ours. And um, of course we love her and we uh, support her and we hope the best for her and our grandchildren. I will say our our uh, grandson had just been born, so he was not touched by this. Our granddaughter was 11. She was touched by this loss, and she is now helping. She is 18. Um, she is helping me when I do things for JR's Hunt for Life such as go to health fairs and take our things and give them away and help prevent suicide and talk to people. She wants to be involved, so she is doing that now. And uh, 
it's 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 a continuing journey. It's not one that um, happens fast. It will no doubt uh, run the gamut of our lives. Uh, and what we do is um, continue on with our faith and uh, believe what we believe as far as the afterlife, and that gives us hope. And it's tedious, it's sad, it's painful, and as I talked in the last podcast, there are moments of laughter in our life, moments of of being um, happy, moments of being um, not so sad. Uh, Those moments are few and far between. So you just search for those moments. You search for the things that cause you to have those moments. And um, whatever causes you to have these good moments, you do it a lot. (laughs) You uh, figure it out and you keep doing it. And for me, that's helping people. For me, that's talking to you now. Uh, and hoping that you will see that you are not alone, that those things that you're going through are not um, unusual. It's part of grief. It's part of this journey. Um, these things will get softer. Um, and I dare say that um, they they will creep up on you at times, like today, um, see, our son owns a owned a pizza restaurant, and I remember vividly today I was cutting up onions, and um, suddenly, after almost nine years of his life, I remembered how we used to cut up onions, him and I, in his pizza business for the pizzas, and our eyes would water and we'd talk about how nasty it was to cut up all these tons of onions <laughs> for the lunch crowd. And um, I hadn't remembered that until today when I was cutting up an onion. And I've been cutting onions forever, just forever. And today, suddenly I'm cutting an onion and I remember that. And I can only thank grief for holding these painful things back and releasing them when I'm at a point where grief knows I can handle it in a constructive manner. Um, I remembered it when I was doing it. I remembered I could see him in my mind doing it. Um, I, I did pretty good, I thought. I didn't have a breakdown. I just, I remembered it. I was sad, um, a little teary-eyed, not from the onions, <laughs> maybe both onions and being sad, but um, things will happen like that, and who knows when they're going to happen. You don't have a choice. You absolutely do not have a choice, but what I do is I do have a choice about confronting things that I know are going to be painful, and I choose not to do it. And there again, other people um, may may not have the pain that I do over the same things that I do. However, um, we will keep working 
um, with each other during this process the rest of our lives. And I want to encourage you to be gentle on yourselves, to not think that you um, are different from anyone else um, traveling this grief road because you are not. Grief is common in all of us at some point in our life. We just all have a different experience with it uh, and the same experience with it. So everyone, be safe, have hope, let grief have its way. Uh, The sooner you allow grief to have its way, the softer it will get this journey that you're on. Also, my podcast here, these last two ones, may help you to understand what other people are going through, what other people, how they're handling it, why they're behaving the way they're behaving. I hope that it will help you understand them, and you can be gentle with them also. And if you have any questions at all, anything you would like to talk about, any just anything, please respond to this podcast. Call me, message me, join JR's Hump for Life on uh, Facebook, and I would be happy, happy, happy to help you along at any time. So I am going to sign off now. I'm hoping this will be the last in this series of How Suicide Affects Family and Friends. Um, if I think of more, then there will be another program. But <laughs> for now, I'm going to sign off, and you all have a wonderful rest of your day or night. Bye-bye. You've been listening to JR's Hunt for Life Suicide Prevention Podcast Safe Talk with Jenny Hunter and Billy Floyd, where there are no judgments and talk saves lives. Jenny Hunter is the founder of JR's Hunt for Life, a suicide prevention nonprofit movement offering hope and support globally. I'm Billy Floyd. I'm a podcast host, a media broadcaster, and most importantly, a positive influencer. Sounds of Soul Music is courtesy of Fearless Motivation. Find out more about JR's Hunt for Life at jrshuntforlife.org. If someone in your life is feeling suicidal, it's important to take immediate action. Here are some steps you can take to help. Number one, stay calm and listen. It's important to approach the situation with a calm demeanor. Listen to their concerns and validate their feelings. No judgments. Let them know you're there to help and support them. Number two, take it seriously. It's crucial to take any suicidal thoughts or feelings seriously. Don't downplay or dismiss their concerns. And don't promise confidentiality if you feel the person is in immediate danger. Number three, seek professional help. Encourage the person to seek help from a mental health professional like a therapist or a counselor. Offer to help them make an appointment and offer to accompany them to their first session. Be sure to follow through. Number four, 
Call emergency services. If the person is in immediate danger, call 911. If it's safe for you, stay with the person until professionals are with them and continue to offer support. Number five, remove potential means. If you know the person has access to firearms, medications, or other potentially lethal objects, try to remove them from the person's immediate environment as long as it's safe for you to do so. If it is not safe for you to remove potential means, advise emergency services of the situation. Remember, Suicidal thoughts and feelings are a sign of intense emotional pain and should be taken very seriously. By offering support and taking appropriate action, you can help someone in crisis get the help they need. Another thing to know is that 988, the National Crisis Line, which used to be 1-800-LIFELINE, cannot track your location unlike 911. Therefore, they cannot directly send an ambulance to you and must make several phone calls to do so. Additionally, when you call 988, they will connect you to a regional crisis center based on the area code from which you were calling. So it's essential to know the appropriate crisis line to call based on your location and the level of crisis. If someone actually did something to try to not be alive, call 911 or take them to the ER. If they are thinking about doing something, consider calling 988 first. They can help you decide if you need to take additional steps. Action and ideas are two different things. You can learn how to tell them apart and what to do about it, as well as find more information and support around suicide prevention by joining our private Facebook group at JR's Hunt for Life, a confidential safe space where there's no judgment and talk saves lives.